Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, and SWE's blog all together at altogether.swe.org. Hi, and welcome to our Sweet India podcast. This is Jana Gherkin, the FY18 president of the Society of Women Engineers. And we're here doing a podcast with Sweet India. And with me, my guest today is Neelu Khatri, the president of Honeywell Aerospace in India. We're going to talk a little bit about careers and how the two of us have similar careers, but grew up with different backgrounds in different countries, and that it's probably not that different, and folks might be surprised that we're pretty similar. So tell us a little bit about your background first. Yeah, sure. So um, I came from a small city in India uh, called Jabalpur, and you know, back in the 90s and 80s, end of 80s, when I was in school and uh, in college, I think uh, the one major uh, theme of the day was that women really were not meant to be in the professional world. And I'm sure you would have, you know, faced some of the similar situations in those days. So you end up being, you know, probably the only lady uh, as uh, uh, in, in the room or full of men in your professional scenario. I happened to join the Indian Air Force in 1993. I was a part of the uh, initial uh, batch of women officers, so it was a kind of a breakthrough in the mindset of the, you know, society in India. So they never looked at women as soldiers at all. So, so I think it was it was good time. I would say what helped me in those days was uh, that I did not kind of put a limitation on myself. So, you know, although I came from a humble background and you know didn't have many means to uh, go global but I think my, our thinking in those days and the kind of encouragement that we received from our families was good so I think uh, so, so that gave me a good platform to be in in my first job which is in the Indian Air Force and then there on I went on to um, you know join the corporate world in 2008 um, I became an aerospace consultant on how to do business in India and uh, I recently joined about Honeywell in about last three years back and uh, picked up the role for handling the uh, aerospace business in India uh, a year, year and a half back. Well, so you mentioned family support, which I totally agree. Having a family tell you that you can do something makes a world of difference. Was there somebody particular that in your family that you can pinpoint that might have been encouraging to you? Yeah, I think it's it's my mom. It has to be my mom. <laughs> Although my dad was also supportive, but my mom probably, you know, I could see that she was trying to live her life and her adventures through me. So she was extremely vocal about saying that, you know, my daughter can do this. And uh, I was probably the first person from my family to get into a private school, you know, that could speak, speak English in those days. It was a big thing, not getting into a government school. So she invested a lot of her energy and time. She just gave me the freedom to be who I am. She always brought me up with that. You know, I, I remember my aunts and my uncles, you know, talking about, oh, she's a girl. Are you really going to allow her to do that? So she was the force behind it. It was actually my mom as well. And uh, I can very clearly remember in high school having a guidance counselor who was trying to talk me out of applying to a school because it was very far away. And that was his rationale that I shouldn't be far away from home. And my mom, I remember, and she'll tell you the story to this day, but she gave him the look 
that would have, you know, that could have killed him. That was one of the looks of death. What do you mean (laughs) she can't go somewhere because it's far away? Right. She was like, she can do whatever she wants. She can go anywhere she wants, whatever school, you know, is lucky enough to have her and wants her, you know, she can go to. And um, it is amazing that I, I still remember that so many years later. Yeah, and it's, it's it's heartening for me to hear because I would think that, you know, when I was growing up, I would have thought that probably we grew up at the similar time, you know. I would think that right. in America was different. But it's not. No, <laughs> but it's not. You know? But a lot of it comes back to uh, role models and that support. Um, and I, you know, didn't have necessarily someone in my life who was an engineer, but I did have some folks who were on the technical fields. And so to me, engineering was an option. Um, was that kind of discussed growing up for you, that that was always an option? So actually, no. So this was a different part. So I don't, so for me, uh, forget about engineering or anything else as an option. For us in our society, when I was growing up, working wasn't an option. (laughs) You know, the only option women had at that point of time was that, you know, you turn 20 or 21 and then there is a match waiting for you by your Mm -hmm. parents. And, you know, you kind of just agree to it because the parents have thought the good about you and they think that this is the best option for you and 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 then you just give in so i think uh, uh and and the mindset that point of time was at best you could become a teacher after you get married because teaching job is something you know that would give you enough time and bandwidth to attend to your family or probably a government job or a banker you know that still gives you enough time you back home at 3 p.m or 4 p.m so it was never an option. Working wasn't an option in those days at all. Interesting. So you broke some barriers to get to, yeah, to get to. And what gave you the confidence or the um, persistence to do that? Yeah, that's a funny story, actually. So I think the, it wasn't the confidence that I wanted to do something. I don't think I knew as a kid what I wanted to do. But I think I was very clear on what I don't want to do. <laughs> so I knew that I wanted to be myself and I needed to do something. I didn't know what. And I knew that I didn't want to end up as a, you know, as a Mrs. So-and-so only in my life. Uh, and a lot of my friends, when I meet them, they say this, that probably they saw that spark very early on in me, you know. So, and that probably got me to try harder. I think that's what I learned. So try harder, dream better. So although in those days when there were no internets, no information, I would still lock on to, I still remember reading those books called Reader Digest that used to come into our households and they were used to be full of inspiring stories from across the world. And I used to value this book. I think it gives a lot of uh, courage to think differently and see what can I be doing. And it was coincidence that at that point of time, you know, my great luck, the Indian government also decided to get women in on board. And I kind of plunged to that uh, opportunity. That's great. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about careers. And you mentioned something just before here about um, what you don't want to do. Uh, and I've actually had some conversations with some of my employees recently about careers. And usually when they ask them, what do you want to do? You get the response, I don't know. I don't really know what I want to do. Um, or... Um, I kind of think I want to do these types of things. But what I did ask them differently this time was, what don't you want to do? And that was a really easy answer from a lot of people. Is, do you have any kind of other ways of getting folks in your on your team, in your organization to kind of think about their career development? I think it's, um, you know, it's a great start to to know what you don't want to do. 
it's a good start. You should never think that you are not focused. I think it's good enough focus to say that these are the six, seven areas or four areas that I don't want to work in. So therefore, then you have an option of whatever else you have, right? And then you focus on your strengths. Uh, I do a lot of it. So I think in the last three or four years of my life, when I, uh, you know, I feel more responsible for women around me in my workplace, and I take that job extremely seriously. So I spend a lot of time talking to women on what do you think your, your next move should be. One of the simple advice I have for myself as well as others is always, you know, one is to think short term, which is good on the opportunities that are around you. But it actually pays better to think long term. Where do you want to see yourself five or 10 years later? What is it that you don't want to do? So, for example, when I joined Honeywell, I was exceptionally clear in my mind that I joined Honeywell to do business and I wouldn't do anything else. I would, from time to time, walk up to my, you know, my managers and my HR leaders to say, if you make me do this job continuously, you will lose me. I don't know whether I will get another job or not, but that that gut I have had right from the beginning. I've never got gotten scared to say, if I, you know leave this organization i won't find anything i think that inherent confidence i have had because you need to build up that to say that okay if i'm not getting it in this organization or this job then it's time for me to go out and we need to be confident enough to take those kind of decisions and that happens when you actually go and talk to people around to your managers to say you know can i have this and once you say that someday you do get it you do yeah get that's great advice i think a lot of women will not want to take that chance for the fear of not having a landing point, right? Of making that statement where I'm not happy in this job, but if I don't have another one, what can I go to? I personally feel, you know, that uh, a valuable and a good worker has a lot of importance in every organization. So if you make yourself valuable, you know, get on top of the recent recent developments that are happening in the field of technology, get to know your clients better, get to know your processes better. If you're doing all of those, there's no reason why any any organization wouldn't want to keep you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some things uh, over your your career that you've maybe learned that you'd want to share with our listeners about being successful uh, as a woman in a male-dominated workforce? I think the one thing that I give the maximum importance in my life uh, is consistency. So nothing comes easy and quick. While it's good to be believing in luck, but luck on its own doesn't function very well. It has to be hugely combined with consistency, hard work, and you know, keep at it. Uh, that is one stuff. Second is you know, keep an open mind and learning more. I, I spend a lot of time in meeting up new people, seeing what new technologies are coming up. Talk to your clients, you know. Uh, I mean, in in Honeywell, we call it uh, OVOC, Observational Voice of Client. If you're doing that, go and observe what difficulties your clients are facing. How do you solve them? Come back, see how you can get your team together. How do you project manage manage it? And the third thing is actually, you know, get yourself team uh, a team that's smart. You know, be surrounded by good people. You automatically start looking smarter than them. <laughs> so. Well, that's some great advice. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. This has uh, been a conversation with Nilu Khatri. She is the president of Honeywell Aerospace in India. We thank you for joining us today on our podcast. 
It's been a pleasure knowing you, John. Thank you. And for Sweet India, this is John Gherkin signing off. Thanks for listening. Thank you.